0: You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.
1: It's five
2: o'clock Friday afternoon, my name's Jacob, here with you on Community Radio Station 3TR, and this is a Friday Rave. Here we are, it's Friday again with a Friday Rave, coming to you from the south coast of New South Wales under a grey sky on Thursday, in the rain, it's Radiothon. So the important thing is today, I'm not going to badger you throughout the show, if you listen to 3CR as much as you should be, you've heard enough, get on to 3cr.org.au, give the station a call, 9419 8377, and make a pledge to keep 3CR on the air. Today I'm going to, I've recorded a couple of telephone conversations with, um, Joe Lorback from the Solidarity Sound System, Nassim Mashni from Palestine Remembered and the Australian Palestine Advocacy Network, and David McBride, the um, ADF whistleblower, who's currently um, been charged with all manner of nasty crimes for his role in exposing war crimes in Afghanistan. <laughs> Okay, now it's Radiothon time and for Radiothon I'm joined, well normally I'd say I'm joined in the studio, but this time I'm joined over the marbles of modern technology with um, Joe from Renegade Solidarity Sound System. Joe, welcome back to 3CR.
1: Thanks Jacob, good to be here virtually.
2: Yeah, virtually here, virtually there. Um, Mate, I haven't seen you for a, a few weeks since the Palestine rally. And I'm also talking to um, Nasser Mashini, um today about how that went down. Um, but tell me, the Renegade Solidarity Sound System listeners to a Friday rave would be the same kind of people, I dare say, that go to a lot of the rallies. And um, apart from the Palestine one... Um, tell us a little bit about the Genesis or what Renegade Solidarity Sound System is. I mean, I know it's such a bit of a Dorothy Dixer, but let our listeners know.
1: Well, in 2012, I built a reggae sound system when I was up in Byron Bay and then I moved back to Melbourne and was looking at ways that I could use all that power as part of the resistance movement and part of the rebellion against capitalism. Um, And, The first thing that came to mind was setting it up in the middle of the city, taking over an intersection, and it was kind of seemed like a pipe dream. And then I got invited to be a part of a Human Rights Day protest in 2017 and we decided to do it. So we chucked the demonstration ended at Burke Street and we set it up in a matter of minutes on the corner of Burke Street and Elizabeth Street and took over the intersection really quite easily. We had combat wombat come and play and it worked. We weren't able to stay there as long as we wanted, but we pulled it off. And kind of from then, I kept dreaming of what I could do um, to empower the protest movement with the sound system that I had. And the next thing was the Nazi rally in 2018, I think, or 2019. How could we figure 2019, it was. And we chucked the sound system on the back of a truck, and it was just me and one other person, and we went to basically confront the Nazis with reggae music was the plan, but when we got there, they were much closer to the road than planned. And I was a bit angrier than I thought I would be, at seeing hundreds of Nazis. So instead of playing reggae music, I started chanting, Sudanese are welcome, racists are not. And fortunately, that was the message that came out of that. If anyone listened to the media at that time, there was really no good reporting on, on the messages coming from the anti-Nazi movement. Or fortunately, there was nothing about what the Nazis were saying, but the one soundbite that they did grab and they used the cross reporting on that rally was Sudanese are welcome, racists are not. So although we got smashed up by the Nazis and the truck got smashed and the generator got stolen and speakers got smashed and we were pretty scared, um, it was all worth it for that message that we got out of there. And since then we've really been doing as much as we can. We've built up the sound system with yourselves and others. So we've got three or four different setups we can do for protests. Um, We've done the Invasion Day rallies the last couple of years, the Black Lives Matter rallies, um, a bunch and of environment really, ones, the trees. Yeah, one yeah. what
2: of what the things I, I like about it is between your huge system, my little system, and different bits, and we must remember that um, Black Star Cookie from Blackstar, passed on some of the stuff when they went out of operation. Um, when we strap them all together and... Um, We've got basically three or four different PA systems all running in tandem, in parallel, um, making a hell of a racket, i got to say.
1: Yeah, yeah, we can get loud now. I think the the last Palestine rally was good evidence of that, and the invasion days where we spread out across the street, because we've all been going to rallies for a long time, and I guess there are two of the reasons that we've done this and we've put all the work into doing this is one, because we know people organising rallies, the last thing they think about is the sound, is the amplification. And you and me have both helped uh, many people, you more than me, at the night before a rally try and organise some sort of a sound system because they've been so um, involved in the details of the protest and the politics of the protest that people need to do, and it's important that energy is spent. Uh, they often forget the practical things like organising a sound system. So part of that is being, aiming to be super responsive so we can help people out at that last minute so those voices can be heard. And the other thing is for the quality of sound, trying to make sure that everybody can hear those speeches. Yeah.
2: And, um, having the, um, having the big bass speakers available sometimes too for when we do have combat wombat or other musicians playing not just playing some recorded music makes a, makes a difference and not having that tinny, um that tinny cone sound, I guess, that a lot of a lot of rallies have. But Joe, it's radiothon. So as well as asking people to call the station or get online and make a donation, we're also trying to promote a whole lot of activities that three C involved in. And of course three C involved in promoting most of the rallies. So tell me what rallies we got coming up in Melbourne. I'm not I'm not um in town at the moment, obviously, but um, what rallies have you got coming up in Melbourne in the near future?
1: The ones that we're involved in is uh, Saturday the 3rd of July is the Free Palestine Rally, or really Save Sheikh Jarrah Rally. Um, it's the third of those rallies. It got postponed back, but if you've followed what's been going on in Palestine now, um, the arrests of residents of Sheikh Jarrah, that's as important as ever, and the continued occupation of Palestine. Um, I encourage people to get down that. 3rd of July, State Library at 3 pm. Then we're doing a fundraiser for United Struggle, which all the funds are going to the communities, the Mapuche communities in Chile, West West Papua activists, and to Palestine as well. So that's called Rise Up. Uh, It's going to be punk, hip hop, electronic music, all kinds of resistance music on Saturday, the 17th of July.
2: 3CR, Radiothon, a Friday rave. I'm joined by one of the hosts of Palestine Remembered, which is on 3CR at 9.30 tomorrow, Saturday morning, Nasser Mashini. How are you, brother?
0: Yeah, really well, Chase.
2: Mate, I wanted to, first of all, congratulate you on the great protest a few weeks back we had there in Melbourne.
0: Mate, it was a ripper, and I can tell you that I reckon it might be the single biggest Palestine protest I've ever attended or been to. We've had some bigger ones, but it's been when Israel's decided to open up two fronts to bomb Gaza and Lebanon, yep. and then all the Lebanese come out. But uh, as a singular Palestinian event, uh, it, it was, oh, look, I think somewhere between ten and 15,000 people. It was a monster.
2: I'm hearing that from Palestinian and Palestine solidarity activists all over the world, mate, that it's the biggest that they've been to.
0: Look, uh, it, there, there's no question. And I can say that categorically, having... You know, I'm in my early fifties now and all the protests that I've attended to, uh, attended in my lifetime. There's no question that increasingly we're seeing, you know, a greater connection between different communities. Yep. Um, whether it's the indigenous, West Papuan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but also the, the age of the participants in the past, it was, you know, that first generation of Palestinian immigrant. Yep. Um. And, and it was older, you know, my dad's generation, etc. and dragging the kids along, which was us. Yeah. Uh, I still drag my kids along, of course, but, you know, walking through the crowds those past couple of, you know, those few Saturdays before we went into lockdown, there's no question that the age and the demographic, you know, is varied. There's Muslim girls and boys, there's, you know, um, Aussie, you know, Anglo boys and girls, there's, um, you know, really strong support amongst our indigenous brothers and sisters, you know, yeah. uh, LGBTQI community. I mean, Jewish people, brothers and sisters, you know, the, the cross section of the community is, and the engagement on the issue is just phenomenal.
2: People seem to know, and it's not only the size. I remember not that many years ago, I guess talking to people in the crowd where they knew somehow that Palestinians were getting hard done by by the State of Israel, but they couldn't really articulate what everything that was going okay, on was yeah, yeah. to, to people here. And I, I mean, when you talk about the youth, my daughter was there. Now, okay, she's used to coming to protests, but okay. she didn't come with me. She came with her boyfriend and her friends. And yeah, we wow. were all engaged, and that's the first time that's happened.
0: Well, can I tell you something? You know, this past massacre, and we don't like to use the word conflict because it creates some sort of it's concept of parity. There's, there's no conflict. There's a brutal military occupier, you know, with a boot on an oppressed people's throat. I did a couple of interviews in Sky News. Wow. And the first, you know, I got the call saying, you yeah, we'd like to get a Palestinian representative and, you know, in my role as the Vice President of the Australia-Palestine Advocacy Network, I went along and went, you know, this is hostile territory and me and the crew spent, you know, a couple of hours on all the hard questions and whatever. Anyway, the interview went off really well. I walked out and there was two producers and an editor, and the three of them in their late twenties, perhaps early thirties, all went, "Oh, we've never heard that before." Wow. Said, well, you know, it's no surprise you're you know you're 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 in Satan's lair here at Sky yeah. News. Yeah. Um, and they've gone, we never heard that before. Anyway, I got called back about three days later, and I went back and did another interview. And, and the same pro- two producers and the, the, uh, the other, the third was there. And I again did the interview and I came out and they said, and, and two of them live together and one, uh, is in another shared house. And yeah. three of them said they, that they've been discussing Palestine, Israel since this, the start of this massacre. And they're all in that sort of late twenties, early thirties, about nine people across the two households, all of them on our side. Yeah. And these are from employees of Sky News. Yeah. So, you know, not, it, it, not the, exactly
2: the, the last one it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So,
0: increasingly, increasingly the the injustice is getting past the mainstream media and yeah. whether it's citizen journalism, whether it's, you know, great radio stations like our 3CR and, you know, shows like yourselves uh, yours Jacob. Um the message is getting out there. The injustice is getting past the gatekeepers.
2: It is, and I think it's getting all the way to the top. I mean, not only here in Australia, of course, with a the ALP conference before last, recognising um, Palestine, but also yeah. something that struck me was from over in the US, where Biden told, Biden allegedly said that he can no longer hold things back. He can no longer yeah, control yeah. the upsurge, you well, know?
0: Yeah. Correct. The, 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 in, the,
2: in some ways, I wish I could control the upsurge,
0: yeah, the, yeah, the outright, he, like he, that. He, he, he's he's too, too beholden to the lobby. You know, he's taken too much money along the journey to be able to suddenly, you know, turn, turn on them. He does have a unique opportunity because he was adamant that he was only going to be a one-term president. So he could actually shake, shake things up if he really wanted to, but yeah. I, I don't hold that much hope. But what you do have is, you know, a real, a real movement and, you know, we would only wish we could had more Lydia Thorpes in in uh, in Canberra, Absolutely. but you know there's a there's a crew there there's a crew there in Washington. You know Rashida Talib, who's actually a Palestinian mm. uh, member of Congress. You know she got up and had eight minutes or nine minutes talking about her journey and her life. This is in the Congress. I mean, you know, let alone the other Democrats that uh, came to her assistance and co-sponsored her bill, etc. Yep. This is a sort of platform we've always been denied. Yes, you know it's Israel right and wrong in the, in the real halls of power, but there's just a crack, and increasingly, increasingly, people are seeing it for what it is: apartheid. Yeah.
2: But what what do we do to exploit? How can we exploit this this fissure? You know, some people are you know some of the more extreme are saying it's the the beginning of the end of the Israeli apartheid. I dare not wish that that strongly, but how do we exploit the fissure? What can we do in Melbourne, men?
0: Well, I think we I think we continue to do what we've been doing, and it's you know increasingly you know, uh, forefronting Palestinian voices, speaking to our MPs, supporting um, parliamentarians, uh, whether they're you know our socialists uh, or our Greens, you know our Lydia Thorpes, really getting behind them because they're they're such good voices. You know our Janet Rices, etc.
2: For more information on Palestine, people should tune in nine thirty tomorrow morning. To hear your dulcet tones again on Palestine remembered,
0: fantastic! Thank you, mate. And, and uh, uh, well, it's great to chat to you. And enjoy enjoy your sojourn there.
2: Yep, and, and uh,
0: mate, it is it is uh, horrible in Melbourne. You're missing nothing.
2: Oh, mate, it's <laughs> it's not too good on the south coast of New South Wales, mate. I'm, I'm basically under I'm under blankets talking to you, so you don't hear the rain on the roof of the bus. Brilliant. <laughs> okay, well, it's quite take, an image. Take care, Dasa. Good on you, Jacob. Thanks, mate. That we've been keeping up with the case um, being waged against David McBride, a whistleblower over the Afghan war allegations. And David joined me on the phone yesterday to talk about where his case is up to and his take on um, the recent revelations about what's going on in Afghanistan.
3: Well, it's interesting. Uh, there is a disconnect. My case is still going ahead, as far as I, as we know. Yeah, um, it's set down for September. Uh, we've put in our def- our documents, our defence, and a few expert witnesses. Um, but yes, the the, uh, the latest revelations um, are very serious and. and um, it's, it just shows you, when that, for those of you who don't know, there was an allocation, I think there was something like 10 people was, were, were executed around the tractor in 2012, yeah. and someone spoke about it to an SAS officer, so people knew in 2012 that things were going on, um, probably long before that, but I mean, that's quite clear. Um and I've always suggested that, the, you know, more people knew that they're not letting on. Yep. Um, and, and that after 2012, a lot of things were done as a cover-up um, in order to keep the International Criminal Court away from. So it, 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 it's, I'm, very, I'm very grateful. One thing that uh, I'm very grateful about that was that reporters had the courage to print that story. There's obviously a lot what, of crackdowns, there's a lot of bad things,
2: though.
3: How can we exploit this figure? Some people are, you know, are extremely dangerous, though. Um,
2: the beginning of the end of the Israeli and, um, effect, arresting. they don't want to wish that, that strongly. Uh, so so how do we get, get those story? What yeah. can we doing in yeah. you know? well, well, I, smart
0: think smart. I think we continue to do what we've been doing. Yeah. And it's, you know, he's to the ABC that, uh, for Palestinian British voices, stories, speaking um, to our MPs, and, um, supporting uh, because they are uh, parliamentarians, we uh, whether you are, they're, you know, our socialists uh, sure that we, we uh, or our Greens, you story know, story our Ligert thoughts, really getting get behind them because they're yeah. such good voices. You know, our Janet Rice is a teacher.
2: For more information on Palestine, I mean, I've heard rumours on the grapevine that they will
3: eventually but they want to keep on just possible.
2: And, hard, and would, would and, that and, and, be uh, to discourage other people to hear and yeah. enjoy,
3: enjoy? Exactly, the show to make that?
2: people feel yep. well. well it
0: is, it
3: is look what, what happens to them, right? It's, it's, up it's, up
2: the it's not too good in the south-east New South Wales. Basically, like under under blanket, so you don't hear the rain. And they're doing they're doing similar things to others as well, of course. not not to downplay your individual case, but it seems to be. That, along with a sort of increased culture of people becoming willing to step forward and speak the truth, speak truth to power about what's happened, there seems to be even a related uptake in the in the media of a willingness to actually report these instances.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, there's. um, And in 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 some ways, there's two sides. The Queensland side. It's indicative of how bad the country's got. But we've got people like Bernard Caleri and, and Witness Kay and Richard Boyle. They all they all say the same thing that the government has become an unethical corporate monster, um, which just uh, is interested in looking after its its corporate sponsors and, and um, not not a, not thinking it's about the law um, and. Um, and then we're all being prosecuted, even though we're all saying the same thing. Yeah. Um, but in some ways, it's good that there is there is strength in numbers. I mean, I hate to think um, how weak my position would be without Collar and Kay and Boyle. I could say... They show thinking people that this is not just, the government would like to try and write us off individually as crazy people or, you know, people who have a personal grudge, but together it's very hard for the government to do that, considering there's nothing, there's nothing ostensible connecting our cases, our cases, except for the fact that we all say that the government is not right according
2: to the law. Um,
3: And that's, um,
2: well, the uh, that's
3: a good connection. Yeah. The,
2: well, the government not running according to the law is something that wouldn't come as a surprise to many 3CR listeners. I've got to say. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> I <don't> know. I <laughs> spoke to uh, George Galloway. Um, oh, yeah. and I was like, yeah, I, I was saying, you know, I was quite naive. I was a true believer in the, um, um you know, in the way that the uh, the world. Worked and in the army and went to Sandhurst and Oxford. Yep. And I I was surprised um, when I saw you know the level of corruption and cover-ups in, in the establishment. But yeah, I have to add that I I didn't think many of his listeners would be. But yeah. it's interesting. for I didn't come from an activist background, um, and and I and I was always willing to believe that if, even if the government did something, it, you know, it probably had some sort of basis in
2: fact, yeah. I no longer believe that, and I believe that if, if,
3: in fact, I believe the opposite, if the government says something about, especially about foreign affairs, it's, it's likely to be a lie.
2: Oh yeah, it's a lie, I mean, there's still some sort of basis, they're not doing it for no reason. Yeah, they're yeah. doing it,
3: but they're doing it for themselves, no, yeah. you just a you know that's what it, it and, doesn't sound sexy, but the, you know the purpose yeah. of the government is to protect the government, not to protect the country. Yeah. Um, and while that that seems like a sort of hairsplitting difference to some people, that's actually a huge difference. You know?
2: yeah. yeah. Another question I've got for you, David, is all these revelations so far have been coming out about Afghanistan. Um, can we infer, or, or I mean, it's my feeling that similar actions had taken place in many of the theatres of war that Australian troops are involved in. Not that I think Australian troops are probably a hell of a lot different from most troops when it comes on the ground, to be honest, but uh, would you be surprised if we see similar revelations coming out soon from, say, Iraq?
3: Well, we didn't do much in Iraq, um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it, different. And I think it got worse in Afghanistan because we learnt Um, we learnt bad habits from our interactions with the coalition troops. The British um, were bad and the the Americans were even worse. I think this is one of the reasons why the Americans feared the International Criminal Court because they know, um, you know, they were cowboys, at least in our... The the reason, I guess, is again, there's two sides of the reason that we're getting some action in Australia, as we have a lot of our good soldiers, and that's one of our things. When you see the, uh, the reaction the, the sort of angry reactions in the conservative press, especially theirs to the editor saying, how dare you put soldiers on trial or whatever. We like to pretend that we were doing the right thing, but the, the local people knew we weren't. They knew we were murdering people all the time. Yeah. And they weren't fools, and so they didn't see us as liberators. They saw us while what we were, and it only it only needed to be a, a certain percentage of the troops that we were just going out and killing, raping yeah. and doing whatever. But of course, that's what the local people remember. And, um, uh, so we lost, I, I, it, it was a very good article written by a guy called, um, uh, I've got his name now, but it, it was in the monthly and it was, um, it, it was about the, the truth about Afghanistan he went and interviewed Afghan locals. Now, um, our na- Andrew Quilty, his name. The oh, yeah. narrative was, oh, the locals really liked us. And, you know, it was just a Taliban bullying them or whatever. But, and, and that was the narrative he put out. The truth of the matter was, as he found out, even though people were very afraid to talk to first, they said, we, this, you know, Australians kill people all the time. We often didn't even report it because we didn't trust the NGOs. we didn't trust... The government, we didn't trust anybody. We thought, what's the use of reporting? it? We'll just end up getting killed ourselves. Yeah. And they said, you know, they gave examples. One farmer who was kind of in the middle, didn't particularly hate us so much. We came to his compound, the Australians, one day and shot his son, one of his sons, dead
2: unnecessarily. Yeah. Um, totally broke the father. He was an older man
3: and we just couldn't be it he was kinda of lost for words when Quilty interviewed him. He, he just like this is he didn't even he didn't even know when to start. But his younger sons of course who had a bit more fire and they joined the Taliban, one of them's still in the Taliban.
2: And and that's and that's the irony because ostensibly if you listen to our government we're, we're in Afghanistan and various places to fight terrorism and yet we seem to be acting in such a way that does nothing other than create the climate for people to join terrorist organisations. I mean, if someone if someone killed my 14-year-old son, shot him in the head or slit his throat and threw him in a river, mate, I'd, I don't care whether they, the, the Taliban or what they were, I'd be signing up to pick up a Kalashnikov.
3: Oh, I would to be too. Yeah, you know, if if, 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 if you know, I'm a foreign force in Australia. I think every white-thinking person would be would be following them, and uh, especially if they did things like that. That's exactly right. We 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 didn't kill terror; we created terrorists. Yeah. Um, and we um, they fought. A lot of the time, they simply fought us because we were there. we were an invading force in their country, and they they didn't have any real ideological bent, but they didn't really want a foreign Invasion force, which is which is totally fair enough. We wouldn't want a foreign innovation force here either. Exactly. And, and and yet and also when they saw atrocities, yeah, they, they um um of course they they be they they swore against us. we like to paint them as always, uh, you know, madmen and you know, uh, brainwashed, but they weren't at all. They were people trying to
1: defend
2: their country and there were people angry about what they'd
3: seen happen to these people um, and the, blame them. And there yeah,
2: were, yeah, it was a failed strategy. There were people not a lot different to you and I and, and, well, most of our listeners, most people in the country, I dare say, because, as you say, if our country was being invaded, we'd be down there fighting off the invaders.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Well, whilst whilst Scott Morrison and Peter Dutton at all, I dare, I, I've got to add, would be hiding in their bloody bunker under Parliament House.
3: Absolutely, that's the great irony of it. And Mike Baszio, all the tough guy.
2: Yeah, yeah, the way they, they always are. Be fighting,
3: they'd be collaborators. Maybe collaborating with the foreign invading force, yeah, trying to get ahead. I yep. say, I'll tell you, I'll tell you where the rebels
2: are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, all
3: these brave guys. Yeah, well, I mean, working, it, working for the collaborator government,
2: of, of course, and, and and in doing so, in doing so, they'd um, be selling out our oil and our gas rights and anything yeah. else they could, and any of the rest of the bloody office furniture they could sell. Yeah, if, if, as long
3: as the invading force gave a nice big donation to the Liberal Party. Yeah. Can all be
2: listed? Yeah. up. yeah. Oh, look, and I don't, and, and, and I think if the Labour Party were in power, it would be much different. No,
3: no, it's no. not. Politicians are politicians, and they're no. not fighters, and, and they they like to talk a good game. But yeah, they'd be, they They wouldn't be rebels, you know, rebels of the street. They'd be they'd be signing up for the
2: Eraser. Right. <laughs> okay, David. Well, thanks thanks for that, brother. And uh, we wish you all the best. People could check out your Facebook profile under David McBride. To, to keep up with information about where your case is up to. Yeah. But um, I'll talk to you before then, brother.
3: Okay. Thanks, Jack. Always lovely to, speak to you.